0: Well, I had given a challenge out uh, 10 weeks ago as we started this study in Psalm 119 to read through the psalm five times. And I'm just curious, show of hands, how many of you have completed that? Five times completely reading through Psalm 119. Put them up high, leave up for a second. Good. A lot of you, which is excellent. Um, We read through this psalm the very first week. It's 176 verses, so it's a task, and I mentioned to you I want to read through it again tonight, so we're going to do that right now. Now, Psalm 119, and uh, you can follow along. This is going to be about a 12-minute read, but I feel like it's important as we finish this 10 weeks uh, to start and finish by reading the entirety of the psalm. And and I did this the first week, and I'm going to do it again tonight. Some of you have your papers out that are from week one, which is great. Um, <clears throat> but as we read through this, I just want you to consider how many times you hear the psalmist make mention of God's Word, God's precepts, His testimonies, His statutes, His judgments, His laws, uh, all of that as we read through this, and it's repeated again and again. So uh, Psalm 119, you can follow along or just listen. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Dear bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness give me life." Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love." I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be put to shame. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law, it is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. You are my hiding place and my shield, I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your promise that I may live, and let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross, therefore I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love, and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help, I hope, in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night, that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise." Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust, because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in all of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies for all my ways are before you. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. 176 verses, 22 sections. As we talked about in the opening session, 22 sections, each with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet as it's heading, eight verses per section. Uh, Many people believe this was a psalm that was written by King David over the course of his life. A lot you see unfolding in the psalm uh, lead people to that belief because there's different portions of this psalm that seem to make sense with different areas of David's life that he would have been going through and uh, and we don't know for certain if David was the one who wrote it but that's what most would assume to be the author is King David over 170 times in 176 verses does the author refer to God's word your statutes, your judgments, your word, your law, your testimonies, your precepts, your rules, your commandments, your ordinances, over and over and over again. And I believe as we read through that in its totality, it again is refreshing to hear how many times the psalmist is making mention of the word of God and God's rules, standards, commandments, and ordinances. Charles Spurgeon said this about Psalm 119, this wonderful psalm from its great length, helps us to wonder at the immensity of Scripture. From its keeping to one subject, the Word of God, it helps us to adore the unity of Scripture, for it is but one. Yet from the many turns it gives to the same thought, it helps you to see the variety of Scripture. Some have said that in it there is an absence of variety, but that is merely the observation of those who have not studied it. I have weighed each word and looked at each syllable with lengthened meditation, and I bear witness that this sacred song has no tautology in it, but is charmingly varied from the beginning to end. Its variety is that of a kaleidoscope. From a few objects, a boundless variation is produced. In the kaleidoscope, you look once, and there is a strangely beautiful form. You shift the glass a very little, and another shape, equally delicate and beautiful, is before your eyes. So it is here. And Charles Spurgeon makes mention of that in regards to the content of this psalm being the Word of God and the emphasis that is on the Word of God and how many different ways the psalmist describes God's Word and the profitability of God's Word that is seen here. And so I felt like it was appropriate to read that through one more time. Tonight, we're focusing in on the final two sections. Uh, Sin and Shin and uh, Tav, which is the last two sections here, the last two letters of the Hebrew alphabet. This first section is in Psalm 119, 161 to 168, and then the last section, 169 to 176. I just want to read these through uh, again, and it's on the screen as well. If you don't have a Bible there, you're following. But uh, beginning 161, Princes, persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in all of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord. I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies for all my ways are before you. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. This first section in your Bibles, it probably has a heading of sin and shin. And so there's oftentimes a question, if this is the Hebrew alphabet, and it's the letter in the Hebrew alphabet, why are there two basically headings to the sin in shin one well, hebrew uh, it's the same letter but the pronunciation of that hebrew letter differs depending on the placement for lack of a better term the placement of where the dot over the branches of the letter is. So if it's on the left side, you would pronounce it one way. If it's on the right side, you would pronounce it another way. So it's the same letter of the alphabet, but it's pronounced in two different ways, depending on how that letter is written. So that's why in your heading there, you see sin and shin. Uh, It's because it's the same letter pronounced those two different ways. The last letter, tav, is how you would pronounce that of the Hebrew alphabet, starts in verse 169. So what I'd like to do is something a little different than, than what we maybe have done to this point I want to point out verse by verse a thought that the psalmist is giving, or or something that the psalmist is basically uh, confessing or saying to God, and then I want to revisit each of those thoughts uh, with some further explanation. Okay, so I want to kind of give it in a totality. So if you can put that next slide up. This is in verses 161 to 168. Here is what the psalmist kind of expresses to the Lord uh, in regards to his statements in verses 161 to 168. He says, My heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word. I love your law. I praise you for your righteous rules. I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies. So the psalmist says in this section, each of these phrases, I stand in awe of your word. I rejoice in your word. I love your word. I praise you in your word. I do your word, I keep your word. I love your word." Again, he says, I keep your word. And so he makes all of these statements here uh, in regards to God's word, in regards to God's testimonies, in regards to God's judgments. But I thought what I would do tonight is kind of give a, just a, a short example of how we can go about studying Scripture and looking at some of these statements that are made in a greater with greater depth. Okay, and we can't do this for the entirety of the psalm. Obviously, it would take a long time and immense study to do that. But I wanted to just kind of branch out a little bit and kind of share with you some ways that we can look at this text and these different verses and get a little bit of the meaning that's there as we dig in a little deeper. And so, look at the first part of verse 161 where he says, Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in all of your words. His statement is, My heart stands in all of your words. But well, let's look at the first part of that statement that he says there in verse 161. He says that princes persecute me without cause. Now I want you to think on that for a minute because with a lot of these verses, it's very easy to glaze over parts of the different passages because we kind of focus on the concluding thought. So the concluding thought of the psalmist here is, my heart stands in all of your words. And so if you approach Psalm 119 And you know Psalm 119 is a psalm about the word of God and the necessity of God's word. And and that's where our emphasis is. That's what we're focused on. It's very easy to miss the first part of this verse and jump right to my heart stands in all of your words. Um, But the first part of the passage says, princes persecute me without cause. Now, I don't know that we can fully understand that given the context that we currently live in, but many believe this would be King David that was penning this, and many believe that he would have even been referring to princes that persecute me without cause, could be referring to his son Absalom, who was uh, wanting to destroy him, to take the kingship from him, to end his life, some think it could be a reference to King Saul, because he says, princes persecute me, this is rulers, these are people in authority, without cause, where David would have felt like, man, there was no reason for this to be happening towards me, and if anything, David was trying to do good for Saul, and do good for his son and yet he was being persecuted without cause that's one of the reasons why some people believe David penned this just one section like that would would lead to that kind of belief but if we can understand the state the psalmist is in whoever's writing this to be in a position where people or those in positions of authority princes with authority and power are persecuting me without cause not for something i've done wrong Not for something that I've broken the law. Not for something that would even cause them to persecute me. But high authority is coming down and coming after me, he says. Princes, persecute me without cause. What would be, describe for me maybe what some of your emotions, thoughts, and and kind of feelings would be if those in positions of high authority were persecuting you without cause. Princes persecuting you without cause. How might people react to that? Upset. What are some words that would describe how you might be feeling or how people might feel when that happens? Upset. Angry. Fear. Bewildered. I mean, these are some good, like, these are good, like, you guys are, these are intelligent words, right? Stifled, like, we could bring all kinds of words up, but but we would have probably the summary of it would be maybe some anxiousness, some fear, some anxiety, some, some confusion, some anger. We, we're not really sure how we're going to respond. And I looked at it and thought, man, what a position to be in if, if those in authority are coming down on you, persecuting you without cause. But his answer to that and what he says in spite of that is, princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. Now, that's pretty incredible. When you first read, my heart stands in awe of your words, what do you think of when you read, my heart stands in awe of your words? What, what would you think of? Give me a word that you would describe what you would think that means. Overwhelmed, right? I'm overwhelmed at your words. When you think of someone standing in awe of something, what do you think of? Amazed. Incredible. And, and as I was reading the text, I was thinking, like, part of that doesn't make sense to me. Princes persecute me without cause, but I'm standing in awe of your words. But I just stand amazed at your words. Um, so, so I dug a little bit on this. And do you know that the word that's used there for my heart stands in awe of your words, the Hebrew word that's used there, it's a word that means to fear, to dread, to tremble, To revere, to be in awe. It's it's a word that holds with it this sense of trembling fear. It's used in the book of Job a number of times, where Job talks about trembling in fear at the greatness of God. It's a word that's used in the Psalms over and over again. and Every single time it's used in the Psalms, it brings with it this sense of trembling fear. Not respect and awe, like we would think of, like, stand and no, that means respect. It does, but it brings with it this sense of trembling fear. Every single time that's used in the Old Testament, in, in the Psalms, in Job, it's used in Deuteronomy. And it, and it brings with it this connotation of this trembling fear. And here's what I realized as I was reading this, I was thinking, the psalmist says in this verse that princes are persecuting me without cause, but I have a greater fear of your word or for your word than I even do of them. I mean, that's, that's pretty significant. I mean, it tells me in a, in a healthy way that no matter what authority or power man has in, in their offense to us, we must always have a greater fear of the Lord than we do of any man. That's what he says here. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of, in fear of, in reverence of your words. So no matter who it is that's persecuting him, and no matter how much power these princes have, who is it that he is standing in awe, in fear, in honor of even to greater extent than any human being? It's to the Lord. And that's incredible, isn't it? I mean, this puts, again, the authority of the Word of God on such a high level that no matter what comes or what happens, do we truly fear and honor the Lord and His Word above all? I mean, that's where you can see in the in the New Testament Scriptures this, this understanding that if God is for us, who then can be against us, if we fear God and the Lord is on our side, I will not fear what man can do, right? There's this understanding of the greatness of God, the power of God, the authority that God possesses that far outweighs anything that could come from man. My heart stands in awe of your word. In in verse 162, he says, I rejoice at your word, but look at what he says after that. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. Um, have you ever had a pair of jeans that you wore and you had them in your room and you p- forgot about them? Like whether you hung them up in the dresser, or threw them on the floor or put them in a drawer and they were just there at the edge of the bed on the washing machine or whatever. And when you went and you were looking for them and you went to put them on and you put your hand in your pocket and you find out you like had like 20 bucks in your pocket. And it was like long lost treasure. Like you didn't know it was there. And you're like, hey, how about that? And you're like, you're... Pretty excited about that because you didn't know it was there, and it doesn't have to be even a lot of money. It could be a few bucks, and you're like, "Hey, i like I got a few extra bucks today because you forgot that money was there." Uh, it's like this long lost treasure that's yours, right? And it's there, and you find it. You're excited about it. Well, this is what he says in this passage. Look what he says: "I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil." He says, "I I rejoice. I'm delighting and I'm taking delight, and I am finding joy in your word." In the same way as someone who finds great spoil, not just spoil, but great spoil, great treasure, is how I'm rejoicing. I remember when I was growing up, do you remember when they would have cereal boxes and they would have prizes at the bottom of the cereal box? Um, And I remember, like, that would be a pretty exciting time if we had a new box of cereal, and My sisters and I would kind of like argue a little bit about who could have that prize at the bottom of the cereal box. But I remember I always wanted to like dig in to get that prize because it was in there. I knew it was in there. And so I'm like digging for it because I want it. And I want to get it first, right? And there's a little bit of arguing that would go on over that. Well, nowadays, they don't have prizes in cereal boxes, at least not that I'm aware of. And and so if we buy cereal, I have never witnessed never witnessed in the 15 years that I've had children any of my kids trying to fight to get a treasure out of the cereal box because it's not there. They know it's not there. So, so what was the difference between me and, and my sisters and my kids with cereal boxes? In in the case of my sisters and I, we knew there was a prize at the bottom of that cereal box. In the case of my my kids, they know there's no prize in there, so they don't even look, right? Well, here's what's interesting, guys. Don't we know that there are treasures to be found in the Word of God? Don't we know that as we dive into God's Word and studies God's Word, that there should be an expectation of finding great wealth in the Word of God? So how often are we diving into studying, opening, and reading God's Word with that kind of anticipation and expectation? Versus just kind of like, yeah, there it is but I'm not expecting much. That's a problem, isn't it? It's a problem if we can open God's word, not expecting much. But the psalmist said, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. He had this perspective of God's word that it was what he wanted, what he needed, what would sustain him, what would provide for him, what would protect him, what would guard him. What would give him peace? What would give him hope? What would give him joy? What would allow him to find contentment? What would allow him to find security in the midst of what would be considered insecurity? He would find it in God's word. And so he says, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. When was the last time we've opened God's word and after reading it and studying it, we've left rejoicing and cannot wait to tell someone what God's word has said. And the treasure that we have found in God's Word. You see, this is a matter of perspective. We should be looking at God's Word in the same way kids used to look at cereal boxes with prizes that were in it. They knew it was there and they could not wait to dive in and get it. As opposed to knowing nothing's there. We know what is here. And yet, is that really how we approach the Word of God? Is that really the level of excitement and joy we have as we go to God's word? In verse 163, I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. His positive statement, I love your law. The preceding statement, I hate and abhor falsehood. I despise falsehood. I love your law. I wonder, can we say that today? God, I despise falsehoods. You know, I believe the Word of God makes it very clear that it is an impossibility for the child of God to truly love the Word of God and at the same time love the sin that is in the world. It's an impossibility. It's an impossibility to say we truly love God's Word and at the same time equally say we love falsehoods and evil. You remember what Jesus said when he talked to those that were rejecting him you are of your father, the devil, and you will do the works of your father. Elsewhere, when Jesus was challenging his disciples and those that were listening about a love of money and a love of earthly things, he says, you can't serve two masters. You will either love the one and hate the other, or you will hate the one and love the other, despise the other. And, and Jesus makes something abundantly clear that, that there's not a divided, divided allegiance here. The psalmist says in this passage, I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. In contrast to his attitude and perspective about the sin and falsehoods and evil that is in the world, I love your law, O Lord. That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 1. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Guys, for so long, the negative that people speak of Christianity and speak of those that follow the Bible is that it's just a big religion of rules. All of those laws and rules and regulations you have to follow, wow, that's just such a burden. That's not the perspective that those that followed and loved the Word of God had. I hate falsehoods, but I love your law, he says. I wonder, could we truly say that? Verse 164, seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. I praise you for your righteous rules. Have you ever thought of making a statement like that before? I'm just so thankful for all the rules. Like, Have you ever like, considered that? I mean, if you ask my kids, they would be like, no, why would I say I love the rules? Like, we have rules in our house, things that they're allowed to do and they're not allowed to do, and things that they're allowed to participate in they're not allowed to participate in. And most of the time when we give something they're not allowed to do, the answer I get back is, why? No, you can't go, why? Because <laughs> I said so. Like, that should be enough. But any time that rules are given or instruction is given, our natural reaction to rules is not to say, I love them! Bring them on! Like, we don't think that way. Rules is something that oftentimes when people hear rules, they think, like, not for me. I don't want to hear them. I don't want to listen to them. Why do we have to have so many rules? Why do we have to have so much red tape that we have to go through? I mean, those are the phrases that we're familiar with. But contrary to that, he says, seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. I don't get the feeling that the psalmist looked at God's rules, laws, testimonies, judgments, standards, and word as burdensome to him. He delighted in it. He desired it. Now I found this interesting because I figured out, okay, what would that equate to? Seven times a day, if you get, you know, six to eight hours of sleep, what would that translate to in any given day? Can you imagine if... Every day, we made a point to once every two to three hours, because that's what that would equate to, once every two to three hours to pause and give thanks and rejoice for the Word of God. Can you imagine how much different your day would be like and my day would be if we did this? Seven times a day, I give thanks for your righteous rules. Seven times a day, I praise you for your righteous rules. Can you imagine if every two hours you got an update, an alarm, um, you know, something on your phone, or a reminder that was like, "Hey, it's been two hours. Give praise and thanks to God for His Word." And specifically, what about His Word are you thankful for? Every two hours, every day. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that would be like and how much that might transform our thinking, perspective, and attitudes in every given day? Because if you're, you're like me, there's probably certain parts of the day that maybe are going better than other parts of the day. So can you imagine just when you're at the height of like feeling frustrated or angry about something, your alarm pops up and be like, okay, what's the reason you're giving thanks to God for his righteous rules right now? And we pause and give God thanks. Now unless he's lying or just using hyperbole here, which I don't believe he is, this is what he was doing. Seven times a day, I praise you for your righteous rules. Wouldn't that be a challenge? Honestly, if out of this 10-week study, the only thing we gather from this is we're going to go from here as men and commit to seven times a day giving thanks to God for his word on a daily basis, I think that would be challenging enough. I think that would be pretty life-transforming. That would really shake our day, wouldn't it? That's what he said he does here. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Verse 166, he says, I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. You see, this is repeated in the New Testament, isn't it? Not to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So this is something where the psalmist says, listen, I'm, I'm hoping in your salvation... And I'm doing your commandments. I'm doing what you command. Verse 167, my soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. What I find interesting in verses 166 and 167, that's speaking of both outward and inward, right? Outward and inward. He says, I hope in your salvation I do your commandments. That's outward. I'm doing them. Uh, Verse 167, inwardly, my soul keeps, my soul keeps your testimonies. So both within and without. There's not just the outward exterior that's seen, but there's that which was within rejoicing as well. And he says, I love them exceedingly. Uh, The Hebrew word here for loving exceedingly, I found this really interesting. The Hebrew word here for I love them exceedingly, the word exceedingly, that is the same word that's used in Genesis 131 following the creation of man and all that God made, when God said it was very exceedingly good. When God looked at creation, the creation of man and all he created, and he said it was very good, exceedingly good. That's the same adjective that the psalmist is using here when he says, my soul keeps your testimonies, and how much do I love them? I love them exceedingly, with exceeding love. That's a, that's a pretty incredible word. When you think of that's the same description that God gave about his creation, that he made very good. There's an overflowing of his heart here. There's an overflowing of his heart of love for the testimonies and commandments, precepts of our God. Uh, pretty incredible to see that. Um, he says, I keep your precepts and testimonies. For all my ways are before you, verse 168. I keep your precepts and testimonies for all my ways are before you. This is pretty practical. As I look at verse 168, I thought, man, doesn't that make sense? Can you imagine if everywhere you went tomorrow, someone was video recording every single thing you said and everything you did, and you knew it when you left your house in the morning. If you're married, if you have kids, whatever, and they said, hey, someone's following you all day today, and we're going to show the video at the end of the day to your wife and kids. Okay, (laughs) they're going to see everything you've done and they're going to hear everything you've spoken. But in addition to that, we also have this special little device that we're going to have you wear that's actually going to be able to record your thoughts throughout the day as well. Because we're going to put that on display, too. It's going to be all written out in a nice little report. Right. Can you imagine? First of all, everybody would be different. (laughs) Like, when you go, like, there's words you wouldn't use that you maybe otherwise would use. There might be phrases you would use that you wouldn't use. There might be things that you would say that you wouldn't say. There would hopefully be things you'd be thinking. You'd be like, I I can't think that. Because it's going to be on display. This is what the psalmist said. This is the practical nature of what he says here. He says, I keep your precepts and testimonies. He says, "I'm, I'm holding, I'm keeping and doing what you have called me to do. But look at what he says. Why? For all my ways are before you. Guys, the word that that is used here for it's before you, that word that's used here has with it this connotation, this understanding, is that it is in in display before God. It's in His presence. It's fully available to Him. Isn't this just practical? This is logical, isn't it? I'm going to keep your testimonies and statutes, your testimonies and precepts, because everything that I say... Everything that I do, everything that I think is on full display before you, the creator God of the universe. It's all right in front of you. I think about it when I was in school and when I was in class and we had goofballs in our class and and sometimes I'd participate in some of these things. When the teacher left the room, the room changed. When the teacher left the room, the, when we had a substitute, poor substitutes, when they would come in, the, the room was different. And depending on the substitute, it would have been better not to have anybody in there, with some, depending on the substitute. But when the presence of the teacher was out of the room, people just acted differently. It's the same thing with kids, isn't it? When, when our kids have parents around, they act much differently when the parents aren't around. And it's the same thing for you and I. When we don't have an accountability before the Lord or a clear understanding that everything we say and do is on full display before the eyes of the Lord, anything goes. The psalmist is brought back to this reality about the testimonies and precepts of the Lord, the law of the Lord, and he says, I keep it because all of my ways are before you. You guys, listen to me. I think you need to hear this tonight. I need to hear this. Everything you say Do look at, participate in, and think is on full display before God at all times. There's nothing hidden from Him, it's on full display. I mean, that's convicting. And if we could keep that at the forefront of our heart and mind when it comes to our decisions, we might act a little differently. Talk a little differently. Think a little differently. Look a little differently. Do you see how in all of these statements that the psalmist makes here, all of these statements, he's standing in awe of standing firmly upon, participating in, living out, doing, keeping the word of God. He's keeping these things. Let's go on to the next section here, Tav, this final letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Again, looking at some of these statements he makes, verse 169, he says, Give me understanding according to your word. The first part of the verse, he says, let my cry come before you, O Lord. Obviously, again, the psalmist is in a position of hardship of some sort. He's crying out to God. He's desiring to be heard. And, and what's interesting is in the midst of hardship, where is he turning? What is he turning to in the midst of his hardship for understanding? What's he turning to? He shouted it out. Look at the verse. Give me understanding according to what? your word. He says, let my cry come before you, O Lord, give me understanding according to your word. In the midst of hardship, in the midst of his crying out, in the midst of whatever it is he's going through that he's pouring out to God, he's seeking understanding and answers, and he says, give me understanding according to your word. Give me understanding according to your Word. I can't tell you how many times folks that are in crisis and in difficult situations and they come in for prayer, they come in for counseling or they come in seeking answers. And I hear over and over and over again from folks. Young and old. I'm asking of God to answer me. I'm asking God for answers. I'm asking God to teach me what I need to know. And I'm not hearing anything. And he's not telling me anything. I'm confused. And my natural question is, how much time are you spending in God's word? And and that's the last place that they're going to go to. Guys, listen. This is not confusing here. This is not difficult to understand. You see this all throughout this psalm that... Whoever this writer is, whether David or someone else, they were under a lot of duress, persecution, and struggle in their life. And every single time, where they are turning and going to is God's word. And sadly, that is so oftentimes the very last resort that we go to rather than the first option that we take. He says, give me understanding according to your word. Can you imagine if every time we had a position of crisis, of anxiety, of worry, something that's happening in our life that we are petitioning and laying out before the Lord and asking and seeking answers, if we were just as diligent about searching and reading the scriptures as we were about our worry as we lay awake at night and worry. He says, give me answers according to your word. That's where God gives us peace and understanding. Verse 170, he says, deliver me according to your word. But look at the first part again. Let my plea come before you. Let my plea come before Again, he's pleading about something. He's in anguish about something. He's in turmoil about something. He's anxious about something. And he says, let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to what? Say it out. Your word, deliver me according to your word, God. Answer me according to your word. Deliver me according to your word. Verse 171, my lips will pour forth praise for you teach me your statutes. In the midst of all this, in the midst of all that's going on, it says that he's going to pour forth praise. Why? For you teach me your statutes because you teach me your word. This is what he's, you see what he's saying here as he's wrapping up this psalm. As this psalm is coming to a conclusion, we are seeing him talking about hardship difficulty pleading with God, petitioning God, crying out to God. And he says in response to all of these things, give me understanding according to your word, deliver me according to your word, teach me according to your word, help me according to your word, seek me, Lord, as your word says you will. All of these things that he's crying out to God and he's petitioning God with. He's turning to the Lord and delighting in his word. He says, my tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. Verse 173, I think, is so powerful. We don't have time to get into every one of these verses. We're just touching the surface, right? Just starting to skim the surface on a lot of these verses. But look at verse 173. He says, let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. There's this understanding, I think this is magnificent, and this is something I think is a principle from God's word that is so encouraging that, men, I think we need to understand. There is an expectation on the part of the psalmist that as he is obediently keeping God's word, as he is obediently listening to, obeying and following God's word, there is the expectation of help from the hand of the Lord in his life. There's the expectation of God's hand of blessing and help as he is obedient and keeping God's word. And I think that's magnificent. I think it's incredible to consider that. And it made, immediately made me think of a passage in Proverbs chapter 1. And in Proverbs chapter 1, you have a a pretty incredible portion of Proverbs 1, verses 20 to the end of the chapter, where Solomon is writing and he's talking about wisdom. And he's talking about wisdom, and wisdom is reflected in this passage as the word of God, as that which is coming from the Lord, the authority of the word of God, and God calling out, God offering his wisdom, and God calling out and offering his truth. And, And here's what it says in Proverbs chapter 1, Wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. There's this understanding that wisdom, personified as a woman here, and the understanding is this is the truth of God. This is what God is offering, his wisdom, which is his word. And he says, wisdom is crying out in the street, in the markets, where people gather, where people are together, where social things are happening, and he's cry, she's crying out. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? How long will people continue to hate knowledge? Will people continue to love foolishness and hate knowledge and hate truth? He, He says here, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. If you will listen, if you will turn, I will make my words known to you. I will be near to you. I'll pour out my spirit to you. But verse 24, there's a transition. It says, because I have called, because I have called and you refuse to listen and have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. It's a terrible, terrible thought here. It's a terrible thought that the one who rejects the offer that God has extended, the one who rejects wisdom and despises knowledge, the one who will not take heed and listen to the calling that is on them, that has been called to them, and and they laugh and, and they reject it and they're foolish and their hearts are darkened, that God will laugh when their calamity comes and when destruction comes. But in verse 33 it says this, as the chapter closes, but whoever listens to me will dwell secure. Think of this. In contrast to the one who rejects me and rejects my word and rejects wisdom and does not choose the fear of the Lord, in contrast to the one who rejects and does not listen and does not take heed to, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster, he says. Guys, do you know how amazing it is? to be able to live your life as a child of God if you are walking obediently to him and his word, to be able to live day in and day out without the dread of disaster, to dwell and walk securely without the dread of disaster. Don't we all know what it's like when we're doing something we know we shouldn't do and we are terrified someone's going to find out? We know what that's like. If we did something we know we shouldn't have done, there's paranoia that sets in. If there was a task you were supposed to complete and you didn't do it, every time the boss comes around, you're afraid every time he says, hey, can we talk? What do you think we're going to talk about? Whatever you didn't do, right? That's what we naturally think. If someone... Sent you a text message and you never responded and you see them. First thing on your mind as they're approaching is like, oh, no, I think they're going to ask me about why I didn't respond, right? You, you think these things because you didn't do something you were supposed to do. If someone asked you to complete a task and you didn't complete it. Out of sight, out of mind. The first thing that comes to your mind when you see them is, oh, no, I forgot about that. That's the dread of, of something happening, right? It's that paranoia. You know what he says in this passage in Proverbs 1? the one who listens to me will dwell securely and will be at ease without the dread of disaster. That's not saying that disaster won't strike. That's not saying that you will not have hardship. That is not saying that bad times won't come. What it's saying is you can live in such a manner that the dread of disaster is not upon you. It's not there. Instead, there is peace. Instead, there's security. Instead, there is hope. Instead, there is reason to rejoice. Instead, there is reason to trust. Instead, there is reason and expectation of God's presence and hand of help and blessing. That's what he says in this passage. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts, verse 173. God, you know how incredible it is if you could think this and understand this as a child of God? The hand of God is able, ready, and willing to help his children. That's an incredible thought. That's what he says here. Let your hand be ready to help me, Lord. For I have chosen your precepts. I keep you. Verse 174, I long for your salvation, O Lord. Your law is my delight. This is how he's wrapping up. 176 verses. This is how he's wrapping things up. Let my plea come before you, deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. There's an understanding that in hardship... The word of God is his help. In times of great joy, the word of God is what he rejoices in. In times when he would be guilty of straying, it's the word of God that will bring him back. God's word again and again exalted. In these final two sections of Psalm 119, they're filled with great wisdom and truth. The psalmist stands in awe of God's word. He rejoices in God's word. He loves God's word exceedingly. He praises God for his word. He keeps God's word. He remembers God's word. He trusts in God's word. He's a doer of God's word. He hopes in God's word. And he rejoices in God's word. That's what he tells us in this psalm. That's what he just tells us in these final two sections. These last 16 verses. Out of 176, that's what he tells us. He petitions God for wisdom from his word, for understanding of his word, for deliverance through his word, for teaching from his word, for help from his word, from security from God's word. All of these things going back again and again to the authoritative, eternal word of God. Just incredible. Kevin DeYoung, in his book Taking God at His Word, a a pastor, uh, an author, speaker, and taking God at his word, he speaks of Psalm 119, and he says, Surely it is significant that this intricate, finely crafted, single-minded love poem, the longest in the Bible, is not about marriage or children, or food or drink, or mountains or sunsets or rivers or oceans, but about the Bible itself. Let me say that again. Think of this. Surely it is significant that this intricate, finely crafted, single-minded love poem, the longest in the Bible, is not about marriage or children or food or drink or mountains or sunsets or rivers or oceans, but about the Bible itself. Psalm 119 is the explosion of praise made possible by an orthodox and evangelical doctrine of Scripture, that the Scriptures are the inspired Word of God the eternal Word of God. And God has allowed in His Word the longest chapter in all of Scripture, 176 verses comprised of eight verses in the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, to entirely focus on His Word. Um, It would benefit us greatly to take heed to what is taught in Psalm 119. As we conclude the study, I hope your challenge with passion, love, commitment, and celebration and longing that the psalmist had for God's word in it too would be true of our lives. Might we prioritize God's word in our lives and might we know it, love it, apply it, live it, and share it. And watch how much our lives are transformed when we do that. I want to give you guys just a few minutes, two questions here. You can be as honest as you feel compelled to be. Honesty is the best policy. But it says, number one, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, how highly do you value God's word and how does your life reflect this? Maybe it's time for some honest evaluation. How highly do you value God's word in your life and how does your life reflect that? If you're like, 10, okay, how does your life reflect that? Why a 10? If you're like, yeah, it's a 1, well, why a 1? And everybody, don't try to play well, five because that's the easy thing to say. Kind of and not, kind of and not. Be honest. One to ten. How would how much of a priority is God's word in your life? Number two, how often do you spend time in God's word in any given week? Would you say you spend time in God's more time in God's word per week than you do watching TV, playing golf, pickleball, a hobby, etc.? Why is that sometimes out of balance, and how can you seek to correct this? Just be honest. Two questions. I'm just going to give you a few minutes. Because we went over, I was very long-winded tonight. So I'm just going to give you a few minutes to discuss those two questions, and then I'll wrap things up. So go ahead and take a few minutes right now to discuss that. All right, fellas. So both of the questions, I shared this with my table. They're a little bit of trick questions, both of them, uh, in the sense of the, the answer to the first question, how much do you value God's Word? If you are a follower of Christ and you truly believe the Word of God is the Word of God, your value of the Word of God most likely should be a 10. How that looks, though, as it relates to our life, sometimes doesn't reflect that, okay? If we truly believe the Word of God is the Word of God, it is eternal. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not, Jesus said. If we truly believe that this book is the inspired Word of God, it should be of the highest value for every one of us as followers of Christ. If you were like most of the guys that I was talking with, and, and myself included, you would answer, yeah, value of the Word of God would be a 10. My life sometimes would not reflect that in my decision-making or in the things that I'm choosing to participate in. And so there's room for work for all of us. I think that's the way we could summarize that question. Uh, hopefully, you value it at a 10. And hopefully you're like, yeah, I can give reasons why I value it a 10. I read it, I study it, I share it, I teach it, I want to live it in every way that I possibly can. But there's always room for growth as it relates to the value that we have for the Word of God and practically living that out in our lives. The second question was also a little bit of a trick question. How much time do you spend playing golf, doing a hobby, etc., etc., versus the time you spend reading God's Word? It's a trick question because what I wanted it to reflect was the fact that we make time for the things that we truly value and want to participate in. I'm not saying if you're going to go golfing, a round of golf in 18 holes is going to take four hours, that if you're going to golf four hours, you better go home and open your Bible for four hours. I'm not saying that if you work a 10-hour job, 10 to 12 hours a week, a week, a day, and you come home from your 10 to 12-hour work schedule, and your wife and kids are at home, and you're like, sorry, honey, I spent 12 hours at work. i got to spend 12 hours reading God's Word now. It's not the duration that I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is we make time and prioritize the things that we value. And so if in any given week we can spend time, four hours, Golfing Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We can spend 12 hours Monday through Friday at our jobs. We can spend six hours a week playing pickleball or going to the gym or doing whatever. We can spend all this time and we make it happen on a weekly basis. But there's never a time that we're spending in God's word. Something's out of line there. And it's not that there has to be equal time because if you spend 12 hours, listen, your kids and your wife, there's no way you could care for them if you're spending time, equal time doing all those things. You can't. But the point is, if God's word is what we value and God's word is a priority for us, we should just as consistently be making even more so time for the word of God as we are for all of those other things that we enjoy and love to do. That goes back to what the psalmist said in Psalm 119 in these last two sections. He loves, delights in, rejoices in the word of God. He longs for the word of God. He searches out the word of God like he's searching for hidden treasure. Um, Is that our perspective? Is that our attitude? As we close up tonight, guys, I just want to challenge you with that one section tonight where the psalmist talked about seven times a day he praises God for his word. Would you make it a point? And I don't care how often it is as far as the duration of time in between, but seven times a day Seek to give God praise for His Word. Specifically, why? For His Word. Seven times. Seven times a day for this next week. See how much that impacts your day. Simple way to do it. If you eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, there's three. Before you lay your head on your bed at night, there's four. Figure out three more times throughout the day that you're going to pause and give God praise for His Word. And specifically something you know His Word says. Seven times a day for the next seven days. And see how much that impacts your life. The psalmist did it. And if you read his perspective in the midst of all that was going on in his life, it's a great perspective to have. And so I encourage you to try to do that this week. Simple thing. Seven times a day. Next seven days. Um, I know our study's done in Psalm 119. But I would encourage you to continue to read through Psalm 119 in the days ahead. Isn't it refreshing to hear all of these things about God's word that is, is projected in this psalm? Is, is so refreshing. And for many of you, I know when I asked this, it had been, who knows, the last time that you read through Psalm 119 in its entirety. And, and there's so much there that can be gleaned and reflected upon. So I encourage you to, to do that. Uh, I appreciate you guys being here. We'll start the study back up March 7th, that Thursday. Of 2023, March, and we'll go through May. It's, I'm sorry, March 9th. It's March 9th. The 7th is a Tuesday. It's March 9th of 2023, and we will go through to May, um, and uh, we will have 10 weeks together uh, as we go into that next study. Um, I do not know yet what we're going to study. I was trying to figure it out before tonight. Nothing really sits well with me, uh, solidified, and so um, I will communicate with you all through email, Um, we'll give you information when the study is getting near about what the content of the study is going to be, and if you have suggestions that you think I would love us to study this for 10 weeks, shoot me an email, shoot me a text, call me in the office, set up a meeting, we'll talk, Um, I would love to know what you would want to study, so if you have suggestions Write them down, give me a call, shoot me an email, let me know, and I will consider it uh, 10 weeks as we start in the spring. So I'm looking forward to that. hope you'll commit to that as well. Thanks again for being here tonight, guys. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of the word of God. Uh, God, we don't take it lightly. We don't want to take it for granted. I pray that you would stir within us, Lord, a hunger, a desire, a delight, a rejoicing in your word. Uh, God, that we would be faithful, that we would be obedient that as men we would be leaders in our homes, in our communities, in our workplaces, uh, that we would be uh, men who are standing firmly on your word without compromise, God, that we would be faithfully representing Christ to a world that is lost. Use us, Lord, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.